This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, September 3rd, 2017, given by a disciple member, Bonnie Sieben. Miracles Transformation. Good morning and welcome. As Carlton said, my name is Bonnie Sieben. I am a disciple member here at Connection, and I am a sinner who's been saved by the grace of God. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, to understand more about your truth, Lord God, and to worship you. We pray your blessing over this time that you would be here with us, that we would receive your message and honor your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we are starting a brand new sermon series this morning, and it is focusing on the miracles of Jesus. And they are going to be taken from the book of John, which is one of the Gospels found in the New Testament that gives an eyewitness account of the life and work of Jesus. Um, Today, sorry, today we're going to look at the very first miracle Jesus ever performed. But before we do that, I want to take a moment and define miracle. I don't know about you, but I feel like I hear that word a lot kind of often in humor, like I'll say it's a miracle if I can get my husband and my kids ready on time or something like that, you know, but Webster's gives us a definition that's a little bit more in line with what scripture says, and it says that a miracle is an unusual or wonderful event that is believed to be caused by the power of God. An unusual or wonderful event that is believed to be caused by the power of God. And so with that in mind, I want us to go ahead and take a look at John chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It begins, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to to the celebration. Before we continue, let's just pause here and notice where Jesus was. He was at a party. He was at a celebration, a wedding, an event where there was fellowship and friends and fun. Sometimes I know I tend to put Jesus in a bit of a religious box and forget that he conducted his ministry in the context of everyday life and relationships. So it continues, the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. So there's some context I think we should consider here, um, found from various Bible scholars and commentaries. One thing to note is that a wedding in that culture at that time was not a one-day event. It was actually a full week-long celebration. By law, the ceremony was held on Wednesday night and carried on for seven days. It was considered one of the most joyful and festive occasions in Jewish culture at the time. Wine was essential to such celebrations. It was a part of that cultural experience, though it was typically served two parts wine to three parts water. It might be worth noting that drunkenness at a public ceremony would have been considered a major disgrace to the family. However, perhaps an even bigger disgrace would have been for the host family to run out of wine to serve at the celebration before the week was out. That's where we pick up our story today. The wine is gone. The celebration is not yet done. Commentaries seem to agree that Mary was not just a guest at the wedding. For her to be personally involved, to be aware that the wine had run out, and to have the authority to give orders to the servants, she must have had an honored role at the celebration. 
Some even speculate that perhaps Mary's sister was the mother of the groom. Now, I've read this scripture many times, and to be honest, I kind of felt like Mary was a little pushy. Having spent some time in prayer, I've come to some different conclusions. Mary actually does two pretty awesome things here, and neither one lines up with my first impression. The first thing she does is have enough trust in Jesus, in his character, to bring the concern directly to him. You know, perhaps more than anyone, Mary knows Jesus. She watched God's hand on his life literally from birth to adulthood, and as his mother, she would know if her trust was well-placed. This kind of immediate trust in the caring nature of someone else comes only through relationship and experience. It comes from knowing someone and having seen their responses in the past. I have no doubt that Mary knew firsthand about Jesus' compassion and mercy. While he may have just been beginning his public ministry, his whole life would have been marked by God. She was confident in him, confident enough to turn directly to him in the crisis. Second, even without a yes, she maintained trust and accepted whatever outcome God would allow. There's no record of her asking for something specific. She just states the problem. There's no record of hovering, demanding, or begging. She simply directs the servants to listen to him. So see, that's kind of what I used to find a little pushy, because it isn't like he said yes. Um, but then I looked a little bit more closely and realized, you know, he could have told the servants to end the celebration, and that's what they would have done. He could have told the servants to start serving only water, and that's what they would have done. Mary wanted and requested Jesus' merciful intervention in some form to prevent the embarrassment and shame from falling on this new couple and their family. However, she trusted him enough to turn the crisis completely over to his care and accept whatever outcome God would allow. Now, I've been told I'm a bit of a control freak, and for those of you that know me, you're probably nodding your head because it's an accurate description. It's not so much that I don't trust anyone else. It's just that I like to be really sure that things are kind of, you know, going my way. They're going to go exactly as I expect them to be. Letting go of that's a bit of a challenge for me. One of the biggest things we have to let go of as parents is definitely our children. It's almost as if the whole experience of parenting is this one big exercise in learning to trust God and walk more closely with him. We have to surrender control when our kids get on the school bus for their first day of school, when they visit a friend's house for the first time. I'm not there yet, but I can only imagine how much surrender it takes to help them get a license and drive a car for the first time. Seriously, that's actually kind of hard to say for me. I have elementary school kids. I'm not there yet. I'm not prepared. But, you know, I've been convicted this summer that I need to recognize and accept the difference between A-list prayers and what we call B-list prayers, and ultimately to let go of my need to control the details. So what exactly does that mean? It started with a devotional I was reading this summer, and I want to share an excerpt with you today. It says this, and this is by Beth Moore, it's Believing God. She says, I shamelessly ask God to bless my children. I ask him to grant them health, joy, lasting romance with their life mates, laughter, lots of friends, and healthy, happy children. I also have no problem asking God if he might allow them to live in fairly close proximity 
so that I can rock my grandbabies often. I feel no conviction of sin over the temporal nature of these petitions. As much as I hope God grants my children each of these things, however, these items do represent my B list. Among the things on my A list, I want my children to love God, revere his word, and discover the life, healing, and power to be found within him. I want them to love people and treat them with compassion and kindness. But more than anything on earth, I want glory to come to God through their lives. God knows my absolute priorities for them. Therefore, if something on my A-list temporarily or even permanently, ouch, might have to cancel out something on my B-list, so be it. It's actually pretty tough, right? And really, the concept is not exclusive to parents by any means. We all need to think and consider our wants, our hopes, our prayers in the light of eternity, including recognizing that sometimes we have to let go of things if it means there's an eternal opportunity somewhere else. It's been really convicting for me personally and really a powerful reminder to recognize God's hand at work wherever he's working. What is so cool in our scripture for today is that we have a model from Mary, the very person who knew Jesus best, for how we can handle our own crisis or challenge. See, she brought her B-list request, something temporal that didn't have to be fixed, and she asked. But then she stepped back in confidence and allowed whatever would bring glory to God. The first question we come to today is, are we confident enough in God to bring him our crisis? Our biggest fears, worries, hurts, potential humiliations, are we confident enough in the character of Christ to go to him? But even more, are we willing to step back if something on God's A-list of priorities trumps something on our B-list? Will we continue to trust God even when we don't have a guaranteed outcome? just as Mary did when she directed the servants to listen. Let's pick up with verse 6. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. See, at this perfect time, in this quite miraculous way, Jesus took an ordinary crisis and he used, us to used it to show us who God is and how our lives can look when we trust him with the confidence of Mary. He took a B-list crisis and turned it into A-list glory. All right, now let's just pause because it's super cool that Jesus can take water and with a word turn it into wine, right? Certainly it's something to pause consider, wonder at. I know I can't do that. None of you can do that. It's impossible for us, but that's the point, right? Miracles are those things 
those amazing events that can only happen by the power of God. These events confirm for us that God's power is at work and even at work in our lives still today. If we can do it on our own, it wouldn't be a miracle. As awesome as it is that Jesus turned the water to wine, honestly, there were probably other ways he could have solved the crisis. Some options may have even included other forms of miracles. I don't believe it's a coincidence that the first miracle Jesus revealed was one of transformation. See, that's kind of what he came for, for all of us, right? He came to transform so much more than just water to wine. He transformed fishermen into disciples who became missionaries, who changed the entire course of history, and he's still changing lives even here today. Romans 12:2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, we can't underestimate the power of God in transforming hearts and minds. The same God who transformed that water to wine wants to and can transform us. The challenge for me sometimes is I'd like to get to that good, pleasing, and perfect part and maybe skip over the God changing the way I think and having his will, not mine. Control freak, remember? I start wanting the end result of transformation without following Mary's lead by letting go of my will enough to surrender to God's power. But that's the only way faith works. It isn't a miracle of God if we can do it by ourselves on our own power. And see, just like my A-list for my children, or just like I have that A-list for my children of hopes and wants, I have to accept that it trumps B-list ideals. God has an A-list for us that is above all else. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to be transformed to be more like him. If we're focusing on the wrong things and we're not accepting that relationship and transformation as God's A-list, we can end up feeling really frustrated and assuming that God isn't answering. In those moments, we really maybe need to be more like Mary. We need to step back and trust in the character of Jesus so much that we surrender to his mercy in however something is handled. In those times, we can trust and we can pray for a transformation of our heart and mind, if not always, of our circumstance. I'm still working on this. I suspect I'll be working on this until my time on earth is done. It's hard to remember that God's A-list is what I need to want most of all. It's really hard when what I want is a ready-made miracle to the exact perfect specifications, and I'm not getting it. I'm really not sure what Mary was expecting that day. To be honest, I'm not really sure that when she told him the problem, that she was asking him to find water and make it wine. I mean, maybe, but it's kind of an out there request. It's far more than maybe she was even thinking. Whatever she was expecting or hoping for that day, Jesus found a way to meet the need in abundance while bringing glory to God. Scripture says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. 
And that was certainly the case here. I know that I want my prayer to become, God, please meet me in this crisis and bring glory to your name. Knowing that he can do it with an abundance of mercy, even when it's not going as I had planned. When we step back and we recognize God at work, it becomes the foundation of developing more of Mary's kind of trust. The trust that gave her the boldness to go to Jesus for intervention, expecting that he would show mercy. That may be the most amazing part of this whole journey of faith. See, as we see God work, we become more bold in trusting his work, which leads us to communicating with him more, which leads us to seeing even more of his work. I want to leave you with this question. Where can you step out in faith even today to seek God's transforming power in your life? Where can you step out in faith even today to seek God's transforming power in your life? It could be a relationship or a habit, an attitude of heart or mind, spiritual life or professional life. But take a moment and bring your crisis, your hurt, your potential humiliation, your doubt, your fear before God today. Trust him to transform it for his glory. But beware, you can't hand God the blueprint. And sometimes his, sometimes his transformation is bigger or far different than what we expect. But like Mary, we can trust. And as we do, we will see God's work and we will grow in faith. God's spirit is alive and active in this world even today. We can see the miracle of his intervention, his transformation, as we become like Mary and trust him with our needs. Will you pray with me? God, thank you, thank you, Lord, that you desire a relationship with us, that you desire to transform us in our hurts, in our brokenness, in our fears, in our doubts, and we pray today that you would be transforming our heart, that we would increase our surrender and be more like you. Lord, bless this time as we receive communion, that we might receive your spirit and walk more closely with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.